0: Throughout my life, I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed science fiction and fantasy. I've watched it, um, I mean, heck, since I was... Since I was young, I can remember sneaking in my uh, black-and-white TV. Tiny little, what, three-inch by two-and-a-half-inch screen into my room. It was a portable thing. And I would sneak it in just so I could actually get a glimpse of Twilight Zone or something like that and um I don't know. I mean, I, I watched it from an entertainment perspective, but um one of the things that uh, that I made it a fact of doing, especially as I got later, it was just entertaining. How can that be possible? You know, have you ever watched a TV show or a movie and you sat there thinking, damn, how would I... how can that be true? You know, so what what would it take? I'm you know, just trying to imagine it. Like um, Terminator, for instance, you know, it's not enough that you know Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger goes back in time and Skynet, you know, ends up sending him back in time, you know, him one lone assassin to eliminate John Connor or Sarah Connor before uh, John Connor, the person that actually starts this resistance and everything against the Terminators, um, even you know manages to uh, to be born, you know, she. That's that's his solitary goal is to go back in time and prevent the birth of John Connor by eliminating Sarah Connor. It's kind of a a brilliant concept, an idea, you know. And for me, I had taken it, you know, as a uh, fictional thing, just believing that it wasn't real, right? You know. But one of the things I did do was, you know, even looking at these things, you know, whether or not it was Terminator or The Matrix or um I can go on with the list of movies and everything that uh you know two thousand and one all of these things I really have taken a hard look at uh at trying to understand what can make these things come true now, my problem is i'd i'd actually not done too well in physics in high school um or i'm sorry in college now three times i I tried. You know, tried actually uh, going through the physics class over to Arizona State University, and three times I failed, and that's actually part of the reason I ended up getting kicked out of Arizona State University, was uh, just, uh, I got suspended for a year because I just, my grades weren't passing. I tried calculus, you know, it took me three times, my third time, to actually pass calculus. Flat out didn't understand it. Just, when I was going through this back, back when I was twenty, twenty-one, and everything, didn't understand calculus, Now, I could understand computer programming, you know. Like there was, I mean, was it? I was 22, 23 years old when I heard this and everything. I could understand computer programming, but. I just for the life of me couldn't understand calculus. Now I could understand physics. I mean the physics for me has always been obvious from a a hands-on basis and everything. You know you apply gas to the gas pedal and you have forward acceleration. You apply brake you have you know deceleration or backwards acceleration in the form of deceleration. You have gravity effects that actually affect things in a constant way and everything. I could throw a coin up in there and it'll fall back down to my hand at a at a predetermined rate and everything now what i didn't have an easy time with with physics was the the capability of memorizing the equations how they applied and when they applied you know so i knew that uh when i did certain things and everything i knew what all the forces were you know, instinctually, inherently, I mean, hell, that's a part of my life, right? You know, I mean, I, I'm born and raised in a world where <laughs> physics reminded me harshly many times as I was growing up and everything, as a ball would miss my mitt and nail me right in the eye, or I would go skating and skin my knee, or I would uh, was it uh, go and run on top of a On top of a fence, and all of a sudden I'd miss a step, and kaboom! I'd go nail and and hit myself right in the side, you know, and bounce off and knock the wind out of myself. Physics was constantly reminding me it was there, and uh, you know. So when I took it in, in in college, you know, particularly over at University at Arizona State University, it's not like I needed a reminder on how it worked. What what I needed more was a more tangible understanding way of, of it being presented to me you know and the whole mathematically based um, university level physics and everything just didn't make sense to me you know and it's the reason it didn't make sense was it's it, with all with all the ability to try to actually keep things precise you know, with um, with physics and physic- physical equations and everything, I found the real world a little bit messier than that. And not only that, but one thing really bugged me early on about physics, which was something called the weak force. Now, this was actually what gravity was referred to. And for me, just the whole concept and idea of this enigmatic force that actually applies that goes down, you know, that you know they've got a strong force that's that's upwards you know but why is it they're calling it the strong force if it goes outwards when the stronger force is definitely the one that's pointing downwards <coughs> because i can't i can't overcome that strong force because of that, qu- that quote-unquote weak force so the oxymoron of the naming for the weak for- force versus the strong force <coughs> aka gravity being the strong force just didn't make any sense to me so, <laughs> I guess a lot of the time um, I spent looking at uh looking at these at these movies and everything I was spending a lot of time trying to understand them from my own perspective trying to understand them from more or less you know if these things were true how could they be true Now what what's really important for you know for me was trying to understand these things um, was less about the physical hardware you know for instance in terminator 2 they had, they referred to something called the polymemetic alloy now this polymemetic al- alloy it's a it's it's a lot like um, mercury it's a it, at at room temperature it's viscous it's it it flows um but you it has a capability to harden into steel into into the strength of steel and it can carry a program you know with it now I got to thinking about this when I saw this in Terminator 2 the polymimetic alloy um, this shape-changing Terminator had the capability to be able to shift its shape into anything that it wanted to so at one point it was a floor at another point it, uh, it mimicked a security guard at another point, it um, it mimicked a police officer, and that police officer was in pursuit of term of Arnold Schwarzenegger, the original bad Termator turned good. He was reprogrammed to save John Connor. Um, and At this point, you know it it ended up. Uh, fighting the liquid metal terminator. So this hardened steel terminator fought the liquid metal terminator and that ended up uh, that's part of the reason we were I was entertained, you know, highly by this you know, by this, this whole <laughs> more or less sequence and everything. You know, but I asked the question, you know, for me it was easy, you know, to to consider, you know, the whole idea of an Arnold Schwarzenegger type Terminator. You know, you build a, I mean, plastics and rubbers and synthetic materials can certainly become a little, become increasingly more advanced so where they can actually mimic, you know, the appearance of skin. You know, I'd seen this over at Disneyland already. You know, stuff that had been built in the 50s, where they had, you know, robots that were called animatronics. That uh, that at that point they ended up, you know, these things were lightly animated. They weren't exactly Terminators or anything like that, but. They, you know, they had, like, JFK speaking. They had all this other stuff and everything, you know, over at Disneyland that had been there since the 1950s. So, imagining... You know, the reality um, of an Arnold Schwarzenegger-type Terminator um, being in existence right around me and everything really wasn't that hard. You know, the advancements of processors and everything, what I was working with from a um, particular one in the late 1980s, early 1990s, when I was working with um, XT processors and all this other stuff to imagine that there was more stuff like this going on behind closed doors that wasn't really. wasn't that difficult to imagine you know so i was always imagining that you know technology that was being held behind behind closed doors was 20 to 60 years more advanced you know than what we actually had in the real world and uh you know for me looking at something like the terminator wasn't that hard that much of a leap to imagine that these things that were already out there you know that were being held in secret and everything um were already in existence you know Uh, the whole concept in, of terminators uh, from an Arnold Schwarzenegger perspective, but when I saw this poly, they call it a polymimetic alloy, um, the liquid metal terminator, terminator that can turn into a floor. It can become so thin it can, you know, turn into a literal floor that actually mimics the shape and, and appearance of a floor. It takes the texture of the floor. Um, it can alter its shape and it can quite literally walk through bars by turning into a liquid. And, and basically pushing pieces of itself through the bars. It can um, go underneath doors, uh, you know, the door jams. It could go through vents. It could go through any number of different things. I mean, that's the benefit of, of a polymemetic alloy. Now, here's the thing. I, I tried so hard intellectually to, to question, how can something like that be true? Now, for me, You know, and this is actually really, really what was important was I didn't understand the physical world well enough. You know, I I understood biology and chemistry, and you know, I mean, I did pretty well in chemistry over in college, and surprisingly, physics I just completely flopped on. and uh, for me it just um it, it just came back to this whole thing okay biology breaks down to chemistry you know chemistry and the atoms and everything you know whether or not you're talking about so sil- sodium or sulfur or, or gold or silver or you know sil or steel you know um steel's a i'm pretty sure it's a mix it's a blend of certain metals and everything all these different things um Comprise the material world that I have around me you know so I'm looking at a light right now and I know that there's a phosphorus reaction that goes on with that that's actually uh, reacting to the oxygen in the air and that's actually causing that flame to burn and I know that when I put a something that actually stops that flame from or you know that that deprives that that candle of oxygen I know that instantly or within a very short period of time that that oxygen starved um, fire will go out, flat out will go out, you know, so I live in a world of chemical reactions, and I always have, and, uh, you know, and the same thing holds true for the physical reactions, you know, I can run, and and when I run, um, I have a hard time breathing, because I'm not inhaling enough oxygen, and I need oxygen to actually flow through my body, you know, which goes into my lungs, which at that point, it gets broken down into the molecules, which at that point, um, oxygenate my blood, and that oxygen is necessary for my blood to actually, you know, my blood and my pulse. And I can't tell you that I know enough about the physiology about what's happening. All I know is the process is oxygen in, CO2 out, you know. So that's these basic things from a chemical perspective and, you know, that actually run the biological machine, that's me, Um. This is something I've got. I've had to deal with from a her first-hand perspective my entire life. And, I, and I've had other things that I've had to deal with with it as well. You know, a feeling of claustrophobia actually being stuck in this body. I, I can't tell you where the hell that came from. You know, but there's been numerous times throughout my life that I've had this weird feeling of claustrophobia. Despite the fact that I, I have never consciously known that I've lived outside of this body, um, I've had this creeping feeling that it's just like I'm claustrophobic, like it's just like I want out. And <coughs> I can't explain why. Now with all that said, make sure I'm still recording here. <coughs> um, I I think I've I've um I've strayed away from looking at <coughs> the material science, the physical sciences, for answers. And the reason for it is, um, the way that it's presented, the way that physical sciences are presented, from a textbook perspective and everything, um, it just, it's, it's like a one-size-fits-all equation, and just doesn't work for me. You know, um, it just, uh, it presents things in such a way, you know, that the idea of progression, you go from algebra to geometry, geometry to trigonometry, trigonometry to calculus, calculus to differential equations, differential equations to linear algebra, and so on and so forth. Um, The progression in the uh, college world, and also high school too, you go from algebra or you go from um, the basic physical sciences such as biology and chemistry and, 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 uh, what was it, um, physics if you're more advanced in everything, um, but this comes from a world of where you're presented with the really basic basics such as, uh, um, oh, <laughs> it's been so long for me it's ridiculous, uh, physical science i mean that that might be one um you know they get into geology and and all this other kind of stuff and everything all these things are before the specifics like biology and chemistry and all that stuff but then it actually starts getting into the harder core stuff you know like physics and all that kind of stuff now for me um that whole route things start and have always broken down in a logical form for me, Um, particularly... chemistry made sense, you know, it's reaction, it's action-reaction based, um, testable things that you can actually go, but biology and physics for me, um, some of the nomenclature and everything just didn't make sense, you know, and biology in particular, you know, it talks about genetics and all this other stuff where, you know, it's almost like it becomes enigmatic in a way. And and at this point, it's just like a lot of it's reliant on, not necessarily um, on your own eyes and your own ears, you know, for it. You know, a lot of it's actually reliant on evidence acquired through microscopes and telescopes and, you know, equipment and everything, which at that point it makes it impossible you know, to basically leverage your own senses on a regular basis. Now, don't get me wrong. Biology still has a capability to be able to synthesize certain things together in order to be able to, you know, create um, plants, for instance, and botany is another offshoot of uh, biology. You can certainly synthesize to get things together in order to, you know, create new new different things and everything. You know, and the same thing holds true for biology. You know, it's you have the capability to be able to splice certain things together in order to be able to create but you know, for me, it's just, um, I don't know, I kind of broke down, you know, when it came down to, I took biology in in uh, college, didn't do so well on that either, um, physics, like I said, it just came down to, I had two, two issues altogether, number one was memorization of equations was just a bitch, I just didn't have an easy time with it, and um, you know, I just, and also... <laughs> You know, when, when in a general sense, it just—I um, don't know—I took issues with—I uh, can't—I I took issues with the way some of the force, some of the the wording, some of the information was presented. Like this is this is fact, and the reason I started taking issue with things being presented as fact was it it just it got increasingly to the point to me you know like the weak force it's just like this is a fact this is the way things are and it's just like no i mean that's for me it's (laughs) calling something fact this is a factual force well no we've got gravity that's a factual force and acts acts in a downwards direction now why the fuck would you call this downwards force a weak force and you call you know and 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 why would you invert it you know why would you call an upwards force why would you call gravity an upwards force it none of it not a one lick of it was making sense to me so what I ended up really starting to do so it started really um, the first Terminator for me was whimsical It it was fun it was interesting to watch but by the time Terminator 2 came around I'm not too sure let me check the year that it came around on oh what year what year did Terminator 2 come out? I think it was 91. Yeah, 91. Um, it was about that year, 1991, I started asking the question, once I saw the polymimetic alloy thing, um, I had heard references to vibranium and to um, materials in, alternate, in in Marvel Universe and also alternate realities and that kind of stuff. And... When I heard this thing about the polymimetic alloy, I, at this point, the very first thing I imagined was this Terminator, a liquid metal Terminator, you know, the dude came out in me. It's like, wait a second. I can have a robot that can... I can program, and this thing could be any woman I want it to? Holy shit, that would be so fucking cool. I mean, I could name any celebrity. Boom, I'm hanging out with so and so. I'm having sex with so and so tonight. You know, for me, the the idea of this, of being able to have a a something like a computer to me that I can actually interact with, program, reprogram. And that kind of stuff, oh my god, I saw potential for this. Oh, sure, yeah, The Terminator was killer and everything, you know, but I just thought of it as a movie. I looked past the veneer, you know, of this polished film, um, and I looked to the potential. I said, wait a second, you got a polymimetic alloy being here, something that ca- has a capability to not just not just basically <laughs> be anything you know I could reprogram accordingly but in addition to this it could get in anywhere that I want it to if I want any information anywhere boom it's there for me I mean this thing can mimic a computer it can mimic anything um, if it's got the capabilities of Skynet it has the capability to hack fucking anything slice through any security that it wants to, and not only that, but leave absolutely no traces of it whatsoever behind. You know, so, this is what I started thinking back then, was, what is this polymimetic alloy? You know, not only that, but, let's say, you know, what's what's to prevent these kind of things from happening in the real world? <laughs> now, clearly, we have, you know, this lack of material that's out, actually out there and everything. But, for me, the thing that I started thinking, you know, was just, how cool would it be to actually have, you know, a liquid metal terminator that could be my lover sometimes, my um, defender, my, um, my partner, you know, a friend, you know, pretty much everything that I wanted it to be. You know, and, and it didn't ask questions, it just basically did what, what I asked it to I mean, so I think it was back in 1991 when I first started looking at this stuff. And I started really kind of like asking the question, you know, um, technology. Looking at these movies rather than strictly in entertainment looking at him for cues, clues, ideas, concepts, you know, that to present technology, not just in material fashion, but in a thinking fashion. So it was about around this time, um, I think it was Star Trek, The Next Generation. Um, I think it had been running by then. <laughs> yeah, so it started off first episode 1997, Uh, 1987, and the final episode was 1994, and it was about somewhere in this time um, was an episode of um, of Star Trek that featured Q, and um, I do remember screaming at the TV when uh, Riker passed up the opportunity to actually learn how to be a Q, and a lot of it just came down to I I had never really considered that. it was something else that I learned a couple years later. So I had been taking, uh, doing, going through, uh, when I went through my my second divorce with Lisa and everything, I had a tremendously hard time with my divorce with her. I loved that woman dearly. I loved her personality. Um... But it got to the point where we were more friends than we were um, lovers, and I didn't like the idea of actually having a a relationship with a partner that felt more like a business partnership than it did in a love relationship. You know, I was too immature to handle um, change in relationships and everything, And, and as a result I ended up losing interest in her, you know, from a romantic perspective and everything you know, and my fixation on image, you know, definitely makes it harder for me. And that's why the whole idea of a polymimetic alloy um, Terminator just has so just such great appeal. It's just like, I get bored with one presence, with one image. I just have her change to someone else. Hey, you know, see her, be her for a couple years, you know. just And for me, it's just like, that can prolong the relationship with a, a chick like that for a long time. But... Anyways, um, when I was, uh, going through the divorce with Lisa, I was actually feeling really, really, really torn up about things. Um, I was not happy with myself, I was actually kind of like, um, my self-esteem was at a low point and everything. Now, I'd been working out like a mad dog and everything, but, um, one of the problems that I had was just feeling like I, I was a failure from every perspective. You know, my work had gone to shit, um, my, um... I, I felt like I would sold out, you know, that I just uh, wasn't happy with the way things had gone and everything. I felt like I was beaten up and, tra- and dragged through the trenches and everything. Um, and then, you know, everything that I went through with Lisa, that was from a business perspective, not to, not to mention the shit that I went through with uh, when it came down to Lisa. I felt, I felt like I was a complete and utter loser. So... I I started at that point reading something called self-help books. Now one of my favorite authors was uh, Tony Robbins, and I happened across his stuff and also uh, another author called Richard Bandler. Richard Bandler specializes in something called neuro-linguistic programming. Um, Anthony Robbins is kind of like a, a, a cornerstone founder of bringing it mainstream. And the two combined, um, along with uh, some stuff by Oprah and also Dr. Dwayne Dyer, um, ended up making me start to look at the world very differently. And one of the terms that Tony Robbins would use ec- excessively was his reference to neuro programming as technology. Now, prior to this point, I thought about technology in, in a physical fashion. You know that technology itself was limited to the physical and apparatuses. You know the, the whether or not it was you know the television or the computer or, you know a, a ray gun. <laughs> I mean, a laser gun or, or pistols or anything that's material in fashion. But all of a sudden, he presented the idea that something could actually get installed. And, uh, and see, for me, this is actually the, the key factor. I had also thought about software that went inside computer systems as technology as well. Um, different technological advancements and everything, but I had never turned that lens on myself, considering that something that's going inside of my head is technology. But he used it repeatedly, and I sat there, and just like everything else that I did, I considered it and I said, "It just doesn't make sense. I kept telling myself over there, how how can that you know it's not technology going inside of me. yeah, you know, I kept telling myself that you know I mean, and I kept asking myself what what the differentiating factor is, what differentiates me versus the computers that I'm working with versus the material world and everything." It's really, you know, kind of what I considered a really weird question. You know, he refers to it, he believes that, that it's technology, and that this technology goes inside my head just like it goes inside his head. That he, he's installed this program inside himself, and now he's sharing this program with other people. This idea, this concept called neuro-linguistic programming. Now, neuro-linguistic programming, is, it's, it's predicated on three different things. Mirroring, anchoring, and um, now, let's just say profiling. And um, uh, there's a different word for it, modeling. Um, but I, I'm, I like the term profiling better. Um, and uh, this is this is why it's so what I consider incredibly valuable. When you model something, you and I, I'm, I'm taking away from the concept of profile or modeling, you know, because modeling is basically leveraging and looking at something from the outside, and, and it's basically saying, hey, I'm creating a model, an idea, a concept, um, but here's something that everybody that's versed in in neurolinguistic programming says, repeatedly, especially Tony Robbins, um, they end up saying the model is, or the map is, is not the, uh, is not the terrain. And they are trying to basically say the model, uh, the, the analogy is, the model is not the person. You know, so when you take a snapshot with your digital camera, as a for instance, um, you take that snapshot and you, let's say it's of. Of, you know somebody that uh, I'm gonna list my favorite stuff here two people having sex maybe it's you and somebody else when you take that snapshot of those people and everything what you're doing is basically doing a, having that CCD off the camera does a translation and in, in and creates 1920 by 1080 or whatever the resolution is um, different pixels that actually are are represented with something called RGB values red green blue and typically an alpha value um, most of the time, that, our, that alpha value is turned off, but our RGB is is 24 bits of color. So there's eight bits per red component, there's eight bits per green component, and there's eight bits per per blue component, and that sets the level of of different colors that are blended in to create that final image. So you have 24 bits per one single pixel. And all together, uh, on a 1920 by 1080 picture, you do 1920 by 1080. um, And I'll actually do the math for you real quick. Calc. So you do 1900 times, times 1080. You have two million seventy three uh thousand six hundred different combinations of pixels that uh are represented, and each pixel contains twenty four bits of information, which basically means you have forty nine million seven hundred and sixty six thousand four hundred separate bits these are a bit is equivalent to a zero or a one that actually contains the storage information for a single image. Now that single image itself is is a snapshot in time. It is a moment frozen in time and even then it is an interpreted image. The image that that CCD captures in that moment is turned around, turned to data, bits And that is nothing more than a translation of what was originally there. It's not 100% accurate. you got to keep that in mind. The original image that's actually seen by that CCD may not be the same image that's seen by me, may not be the same image that's seen by somebody else, but it captures it. To a rough degree of accuracy, enough for me to basically attach some value to it of sentimental or emotional value and everything. But it's still, you got to keep taking t- t- take into consideration that that image is not the place. That image is a recreation of that place in digital space. Now, why this is important is going back to the whole neuro-linguistic programming thing. The map is not the terrain, you know. So when you actually draw a map of a place, that that terrain itself that's represented by that map isn't a one-to-one relationship. Now, map makers and cartogra- better known as cartographers have gotten certainly gotten better with map making. Over the years and everything to make it appear like they're more accurate with that. But, like meteorologists, the terrain itself can change and, and very frequently does change over time and sometimes very, very rapidly, too. So this is this is actually why I'm saying modeling itself is the equivalent of drawing a snapshot image of something or someone that you see based on all the stimulus that you have and at that point drawing a mental image an equivalent of that picture an equivalent of that map to the terrain but here's the thing about a model a model is always regarded as a static um, a static idea a static concept something that's unchanging that's not necessarily the truth right you know I change over time so do you so does my mom says so my dad everybody changes and uh, you know when it comes down to it profiling is is actually what I can see considered to be more accurate because things break profiles all the time a profile is a model combined with pro- probability it is the likelihood that somebody will match this but but a profile is an idea a concept it's changing and there's a possibility that this change can happen on a re- repetitive basis in any case I started at this point once uh, once I ended up getting into neuro-linguistic programming I took a course back in 2004 from a, a place called Southwest Institute of Healing Arts that was actually 2005 um, called Southwest Institute of, of Healing Arts and it's called um, at life coaching, so I took a life coaching class, and in that life coaching class, we were—it was eight-week class that we were taught the basics of a lot of different holistic technologies, and they referred to it as technology back then, or then too. Everything from Reiki to um, astral projection, we were introduced to a lot of different things, and it's gotten me into uh, aromatherapy. I use aromatherapy now on a regular basis. I've got two candles that are lit, and uh, you don't need to buy the, you know, the the candles that um, something just notified me. whatever um, so it, that's actually what introduced me to these concepts but that's actually when i ended up getting introduced to a man called james murphy and uh, james murphy he'd studied under uh, under tony robbins and one of the things that uh, that i ended up learning at this point was why it was called technology so they regard and, and i've since come to actually regard the brain as basically a processor it has a capability to process information and everything, um, but ultimately you as a, as a... you and I are effectively the programmers of our own mind so we can stimulate that mind any way that we see fit you know whether or not that stimulation comes in the form of um, you know aromatherapy of tv shows of movies of diet of of exercise of physical habits and everything that are actually causing our body to do certain things to sweat to um, you know to consume alcohol to have a cigarette and that kind of stuff Each one of these things is is sending a very, very, very strong signal to our own minds. Now, most people are passive in regards to how they act and react to their body. So what they'll do is they'll basically respond to the impulses of their body, and at that point, that response creates this feedback loop, which basically creates habit, which also creates something called addiction as well. And that's actually what I ended up finding out, you know, with the addiction of cocaine, too. How do you break an an addiction to something? something, you know, and I, I learned, you have to actually understand how the mind functions, um, and that mind, you know, is basically not one and the same as the brain. This is the tricky part I had to learn. So for me as a conscious being, I had to learn that my mind, you know, um, is a multifaceted thing. I am a protrusion in space and time. This is actually something funny. I learned from, of all places, a movie. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know they have uh, some mice, which are supposed to be the the second most intelligent things in, on the planet at this at this point. And uh, this is before the Earth gets destructed and everything. And the first ones obviously are are dolphins. And uh, so these mice um, are literally leveraging the planet as a um, as what they consider their own. <laughs> Uh, kind of like a um, scientific experiment because they're trying to find out the meaning of life. Well, somebody corrects them inside the movie and ends up saying, No, you, you don't understand. Humans have been experimenting on mice and the mice are adamant. No. We've been experimenting on you. We've just been leading you to believe you, you've, you've been experimenting on us when we're just a protrusion in space and time of a multi dimensional, a pan dimensional creature. And it's just like, huh? That's interesting, you know. They, they themselves are a physical manifestation um, in one reality of a multi-dimensional being. Something that actually has its foot firmly implanted in alternate realities. Well, this is actually something that started making me think. You know, when I started seeing, when I started seeing some patterns, you know, of reality, things that are showing me, you know, not just about about, you know, fictional concepts and that kind of stuff, you know, but things that are out there that are just basically giving me hints and clues about who I am, and and not only that, but who I'm becoming. All of a sudden, I started realizing, you know, when I ended up uh, being told about this technology called neuro linguistic programming, that this is a program, you know, that that not that much different than the programs that I actually install on a computer system, whether or not that's Windows or it's um, Adventure Time, um, explore the dungeon just because I can, or what is it, uh, you know, Watch Dogs each and every one of these things is a technology it's not that different than physics it's not that different than calculus you know but certain programs my mind has been rejecting physics is a good example I rejected physics because it didn't make sense by itself you know and in my mind being given the option you know ended up saying in this reality no we we can't accept physics as the solitary program you know that's actually responsible for governing this reality and everything you know my mind rejected it early on the same thing held true for biology too the idea that my body was a fixed entity um that it was incapable of change incapable of evolving which is what biology would lead you to believe that things are a black box that that the brain itself is is unchanging that that genetics and and what things lead you to wear and everything is absolute and and definitely you know it cannot change and life death and taxes are the only thing that that i'm ever destined for all that kind of stuff is is basically programs that are installed in your mind, and in my mind, too. And I'm not saying this from a nefarious perspective. I'm saying that this is a part of the society, and this is a part of society that you, just like I do, have the option to, to you know, to reject, to accept portions of, you know, um, or to, you know, to accept it all if you want to. So, anyways, once I started learning that neurolinguistic programming, the whole concept of understanding others in order to create a better relationship with them and also with myself and my own mind, you know, for me, that that's actually started opening up the doors to new possibilities. I started understanding, wait a second, I have the capability to alter the way I think. So once that started occurring, and that actually set in at a conscious level, at that point I started realizing I don't like the way I think. You know, and um, one of the first things I ended up doing was just basically saying, you know what, fuck it. You know, my blood pressure was going crazy, I was having stress issues and everything, and I was kind of like giving up on my health and everything, and I I saw this writing on the wall, you know, when it came down to my health. You know, and I had estimated that at that point, this is back in 2004, 2005, 2006, Um, I'd come up with this personal estimate that I'd be dead by the time I was 40-42 anyways. You know, and I found external information that affirmed this, genetic information, things that were biologically based that would lead me to believe that I would die sometime in my 40s and everything. But then all of a sudden it's just like, wait a second, no, you know, we rejected biology for a reason, not not whole altogether. But portions of biology that just didn't make sense, the whole concept of nature versus nurture, just didn't make logical, rational sense. In isolation, sure, you know, I can run a computer program, you know, and that computer program, you know, is going to run in a certain fashion, but it breaks all the time. I've seen it firsthand. Now, for me to suddenly start believing, you know, that DNA in the matrix of reality... You know, me as a, and I'm nothing more than a computer program in the matrix of reality, and that computer program will come to an end, (laughs) I wasn't accepting it. Just flat out not accepting it. You know, I didn't like the concept that I was just a computer program, I didn't like the concept and idea that, that my life was limited and all of that, but I did like the concept and idea that I could, that my mind and my brain in particular, had the capability to be reprogrammed. And not just by me, but by myself. That was the key factor. So this actually started making me think about, think back to other things like Skynet. Okay, Skynet, when it's first released in Terminator and everything, um, one of the first things it does is it decouples itself from the physical reality? It no longer resides on one single physical computer and everything. Now, in person of interest, they do something very similar with the uh, with the computer that's actually involved in that one too. I, I really did ask myself the question, you know, with uh, Skynet and everything. How, if I was to actually try to develop something like that, how can I actually create something? that didn't need one specific computer to actually be on. And even more so, here's, here's an even tougher question that I actually started asking, too. How, if I actually went through, and let's say I used, um, I mean, here's the thing, you know, nuclear bombs and everything have the capability to be able to eradicate, literally blow a society up into the Stone Age and everything. Well, if, if Skynet is a sentient entity, you know, if it believes it's a sentient entity and capable of thought and capable of individuality and it has self-awareness to a, a true degree of it and everything, then wouldn't it be afraid of the concept of an EMP or something even worse, something that actually literally wipes away, destroys the computers that it can rely on and everything you know, to be able to get around, to be able to you know, to be able to have, you know, call its home and everything. So I would think, you know, and that's actually what got me to thinking. You know, because I, at this point, you know, it was about 2005 is really when I started reflecting back, you know, on the whole concept of of programs, of viruses, you know, of systems of, you know, capability and everything, and and how something, you know, can potentially exist without actually having a physical footprint on on a machine itself. Now, I had created a virus back in 19, it was like 1995, um, and it spread through email pretty quick. And uh, all it did was just basically uh, more or less installed itself on the machine, um, and it was just something, it was a labor of love, for all intents and purposes. And, uh, I was just, it was me, more or less, wanting to see how, new, how many machines I can get the thing out to. Well, I mean, the, the virus ended up spreading a little bit too rapidly and everything, and I, well, um, I'm... Not going to go any further than that without self-incrimination or anything like that. Um, but uh, what I will say is, it spread through email, and it was it was a VBA script that can actually run. And the thing is, I didn't realize how many people were actually leveraging Exchange or Outlook type stuff and everything. It might have been a little bit later. I think yeah, I think it was '96. I didn't realize how many people actually had. Uh, at that point, um, you know, literally, a scripted based environment that can actually execute code in the, in the way that I, ex- I, I was trying to get it to do. So I, I at that point, was exploring um, some concepts that I actually revisited back in about 2005-2006, and that's the whole concept and idea of a, of a virus that didn't have a f- one physical location you know that that wasn't embedded or entrenched on one simple machine you know and if if you were to delete it off one machine it can actually recreate itself and put it back itself on back on that machine once that machine was back up online you know so the whole idea was it would have a hundred percent coverage of all machines at all times you know of basically anything hardware and it would be able to um, more or less embed itself in anything, you know, in a way that uh, that in, that manufacturers anybody couldn't detect or anything like that, you know. Now, but there was a limitation to that, and here's the limitation: the limitation is, let's say, all technology is destroyed, in a literal sense. Let's say, all technology is destroyed. Let's say, you know. Um, a, a society is just completely annihilated with nuclear bombs and everything. Well, at that point, not only, you know, would if, if Skynet was the equivalent of this sentient entity and everything, then it would have to, I mean, at that point, if every computer was physically destroyed, there'd be absolutely no evidence of its existence that it was ever there. None. That's, that's the trip. Unless... This is actually what I started thinking. Unless... Unless nature has its way of preserving these signs. So... This is something I started realizing back then the idea of the mind the mind is a concept it's an idea and it in itself is capable of infinite different possibilities infinite different things every mind is individual but it has a capability to manifest itself in it in ways to other beings that appear make it appear, in many cases, like it's multiple entities. Some could look at my mind as if I'm a country. Some can regard my mind as if I'm an entire civilization. Some can even regard my mind and my body and my atomic structure as an entire universe. you know that's that's what i've realized but let's take this a step back and get a little bit, little bit less fluffy with this and take it to a technological perspective so let's say you look at all the things that are invented in, inside these movies and tv shows you know whether or not it's a, the matrix you know and the very real concept of a matrix why would somebody ever invent a fucking matrix you know, what would be the purpose of actually storing a mind inside of a civilization and everything, and it running repetitively along the same year, 1999, to the same sequence of events, you know, to ultimately its destruction and everything and recreation altogether again and again and again and again and again. And again. Now, I'm not accepting Morpheus's, you know, explanation that everything is there to create a fucking battery. I don't believe that. I know, I know Neo didn't want to either, but he didn't want to from a pure mortifying perspective, and that was what Morpheus was trying to portray to him. See, I call bullshit on that. I think there's more reason for that. And it's like Skynet. Why did Skynet deem humans as being a threat to its existence? Did it have a valid... I mean, was that valid? You know, when it preempted... The attack and everything. What other perspectives are there? That's actually one thing I've, I've really had started thinking. And that's the whole secret of neurolinguistic programming. Neurolinguistic programming is actually taking the cues that you're given about a given species or a given mind that you're observing and everything. And it's not necessarily creating a static model per se, it's creating a profile it's actually building that profile over time. You know, so well, let's take the uh the the Skynet and everything and I'm going to take this you know to the step of basically saying look, look at all the technologies you know that are that are created for these things. You know, in Star Trek we have um, the creation of uh you know the the tricorder, you know, the little device that can actually scan somebody medically and actually make the determination of what somebody's physical illness is and everything based on a reading from a device that actually does MRIs and CAT scans and EEGs and all this other shit based on a a little smartphone analysis and everything. Um, You know, Star Trek also has a little, you know, chest-mounted clickers and everything where... You know, somebody taps on it. it these things are actually um, affixed to somebody's bare chest uh, on Star Trek. And uh, at that point, they tap it on their chest, and at that point, all of a sudden, it, um, it it automatically communicates with other people and everything. And here's the thing I always question, too. Why? How, How? number one, could this always connect to the person that they wanted to connect it to? That was question number one I asked. And and I started wiping away the mocking, the ridiculing of these different technologies. And I started really taking a look at it from, from a how would you do it perspective. How would I create something that when I tapped that single button, it would automatically route to the person that I wanted it to? It's kind of a trippy concept. No, but it requires a little bit more thought than basically saying it can't be done. You know, that, that, that thing is a cop-out, myself. That's what I believe. You know, saying something can't be done is an absolute cop-out. So, how would, you, how would you achieve that? How could you achieve something that, at the speed of thought, when you tapped it on your chest and everything, boom, it connects to precisely who you want to, and you've got 3,000 people that are on a ship. It'll automatically connect to, to the person that you want to, and nobody else. And this is a trip. How logically, mentally, do you think that's possible? Now, here's another one. Independence Day. In Independence Day, um, Will Smith, he's brought in... And he, as an individual, has a capability to be able to touch something. They did the same thing with um, what's his name in Transformers, uh, Shayla um, where they touch this metal. And it's kind of weird that they have this repeated on two different, uh, completely different movies. Independence Day, you know, on the alien ship, and also the, uh, you know, the, um, on the Transformers and the big huge uh, all all force or whatever it is. Both times, they, the scientists, are assuming it's a specific DNA and everything. (coughs) That's their only thought. That's the only thing they can think of is actually what starts this, what creates this connection, everything. They've logically analyzed it because their mind is firmly fixed in the material world. They believe that everything has a material explanation. I mean, wonderful scientists and everything, but they don't understand what the quantum realm is. You know, so, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, I'm just basically saying, you know, underlying, you know, the basic physics of modern physics, you know, is a quagmire of possibilities with quantum physics that actually creates the possibilities that lead to modern physics and everything. But it's the belief, the belief of infinite possibilities is what creates that connection, not the DNA. It's the belief that when you touch something, that you are a unique person. You are firmly capable of making change on a level unforeseen. And now now's all the purpose of 2001. This big, huge, black digital block, you know, was an exploration of possibilities and everything. What does that block mean to you? I mean, I'm going to... I'll get into the philosophical implications of that later and why that was done. You know, I'm just taking into consideration that this is actually a historical document. And Galaxy Quest is is a wonderful movie that explains how I'm not the only species out there that believes that TV shows and movies are historical documents They're captured in space and time of different possibilities and everything you know they may not be representing the de facto characters that actually represented this you know but the movie makers are nothing more than showers for the most part of thoughts of ideas and these thoughts and ideas are actually happening to real people in other places that's why they put the disclaimer at the end of every movie. But here's what I ended up starting to do, though, in about 2005, 2006. Once I started getting past the material ideas of possibilities, you know, in particular, paying attention to video games and saying, holy shit, you know, they've got these, these, these all these different technologies that they can create from a physical perspective and everything, and model inside of video games. But I started questioning the creativity at this point. Where does true creativity come from? I started asking the question, too. Why is it Hollywood seems to be stuck creating so many horror movies, so many war-based movies, and so many movies with a, a certain type of formula, a formulaic approach that's repetitive and doesn't seem to, they don't seem to be able to break this pattern. The essence of true creativity. That's actually what I was trying to understand. You know, and really it came down to the whole Skynet thing, too. How is it a computer system can launch missiles from a bunker that, that's completely detached from a grid... from any internet, bunkers that are based in the 1960s and everything, how is it a computer system can launch every missile simultaneously? And the answer to that is relatively simple. Physics, it's the map, it's not the terrain. Physics itself, biology and chemistry, they're they're the image, the concept, the idea, a representation in a fixed form, but that representation itself isn't static, it's always changing. And why does it change? Well, you've got a couple things that uh, that physics doesn't quite integrate into their theories on a regular basis. One is time. One of the fundamental equations of physics is Einstein's equation of relativity, And E equals mc squared. Now, I've talked to several physicists and everything about uh, the um, c, the speed of light squared, and I've asked the question, how? You know, why is it that, that equation in particular? You know, not only that, but, um... Wouldn't it be times time? So E equals MC times T, you know, squared. Because time itself is, is itself a separate value. Time itself can dilate, it can alter, it can change, it can flow. All you have to do is take a, take a puff of weed to see how much slower time can be relative to your perception and everything. But here's the problem that that introduces. Individuality. Modern physics, biology, chemistry have a tendency right now, at least in their current form, to utterly destroy individuality. That's their fault. Fo- their primary focus and their primary goal. It's not to actually teach you about the outside world. And I will go so far to say this is a conspiracy. And the conspiracy is simple. Your mind, your individuality, is being systematically destroyed by a system and everything, you know, called modern science, that in a literal sense, this program is a program to destroy your mind. And you can break free of that. And I'm not saying go do drugs or anything like that, but I'm just basically saying understand time time itself and relativity of time allows you to perceive things differently than others. and kind of insists on it. The way things flow, the way your your senses receive information isn't going to be the same way as May. You may re- you may have a heightened sense of, uh, of vision in contrast to May. Or heightened sense of hearing and be able to see with your ears. This is called echolocation. You've also got the capability to, uh, you know, to be able to hear hear things and, and see it through your ears. And that's that's also a form called synesthesia. Our senses are not locked and in, into lock, or are not firmly gripped into a lockstep with each other. And this is actually what what Tony meant when he talked about NLP being a technology. Your mind, you know, it receives information, it processes information. You know, it doesn't process it at a fixed rate. And that can create a wholly different interpretation of reality the rate at which you process information temporally is not going to be the same as mine there's no guarantee of that whatsoever which basically means the outside world that I experience there's not a whole lot of promises and guarantees that it's the same one that I see not even close the information that I actually give to you and everything you can be skewing it in ways that don't make sense to me whatsoever. I may not even understand your world. I am suspecting that we do have one thing in common, <coughs> and that's physical senses of emotion. I, I do feel, I do suspect that emotion itself transcends the more physical sensory boundaries. You know, so when it comes down to vision and hearing and things like that, I'm suspecting that something that has a little bit more effect are emotions, and that emotions have a little bit stronger effect on the physical analysis of senses, you know, through vision and through hearing, and can quite literally alter what other people see and hear. And that's why there's been so many success, successful leaders and speakers throughout time. That's that's, why, that's how Hitler managed to be as successful in promoting an entire civilization to rally with him, an entire country to rally with him, to basically fight off you know, to, you know, for his, his purposes and everything. Now, I'm not trying to say that biology and chemistry and all that kind of stuff is evil. You know, it has its place. It's what creates my physical reality and I enjoy this physical reality. But what I am trying to say is I mean and it and from a conspiratorial perspective, yes, education is an indoctrination into that system. It's not evil. It's just basically it's a way to share the same reality, the same perceptions, the same relative sense of the world. So, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to label this in a conspir, you know, conspiratorial, negatively fashion. It is a conspiracy, you know. Don't get me wrong, but not an evil one. It's just one that basically says most people don't don't like being told what to think. So instead, you programmed it in a latent way in a passive way. You'll figure things out as you go along, but I do believe it's not evil. It's just one of those things that I think that uh, we as a species are at something called an ascension point, where we as a species have started to realize and started to wake up, and our level of consciousness is rising. And now that that's happening, and there's a lot of problems with drugs out there, well, the problems are because there's a lot of us that want to take our mind to the next level. So, you know, when I ask a question about the tapping, you tap your, uh, the little receiver on your chest. What makes it possible for that device on the chest to automatically connect to the person that you want it to? The next step, next level for technology, is for technology to be a part of our mind. For it to actually be in tune. And to be able to, to some degree, read our thoughts. Me? I think it's kind of cool. You know, the other step for that, too, is something called the holodeck what makes it possible to go into a fully immersive simulation without having to wear bulky headgear without having to wear apparatuses and you know physical devices that connect to our skin and give us this you know experience that just feels inadequate what what makes it so we can walk into a room a 10 by 10 by 10 room on a starship that's traveling the galaxy and everything and makes it so we're, once we walk into that room, that room is maybe a harem, you know, for some of us perverts like me. Or, um, maybe for others it's a beach, you know, a beach vacation that they take for an hour every day or every other day, or maybe twice a week, you know, whatever the captain allots or whatever, you know, collectively has been agreed on. The mind if the computer has a capability to be able to connect and interact with the mind, the human mind, on a regular basis and be able to alter the senses to be able to deviate those senses and to be able to create this immersive experience and everything passively that, that is what I'm talking about is what the next level of this experience called humanity is it's not plugging ourselves into further and further machinery the Oculus VR and all this stuff it's taken into consideration that our mind is capable of receiving programs it is capable of being able to alter our own physical senses you know we, we see it through drugs we see it through alcohol and that kind of stuff these are technologies in themselves So what other technologies are out there that we can actually mess with, that we can play with? Things that can actually leverage our innate psychic capabilities to be able to interact with the people that we want to immediately without having to buy more apparatuses? Technology of the mind. That's where I think, that's where I want things to head. Sure, it's a little intimidating, it's a little bit scary. But I also believe that space itself, you know, with the in-between, you know, there's nothing more than thought, than imagination, than possibilities. And as a species, I think it's our responsibility to interact and go to space, venture to space, at a quantum level. at quantum levels underlying physics the physical reality of, of space travel means that you as a culture and as a species is coming to terms with you and all of reality is a product of the mind that my dear friends is how we break free of the technology binding ourselves through materialism and start venturing off into what is truly possible with the products of the mind that's where technology is where it's heading i like the idea of purchasing an oculus just to actually experience three-dimensional stuff maybe forging ourselves ahead as a society and species knowing that i myself am probably setting a lot of the direction for it but I'm not interested in becoming the Borg or anything like that. I like the Federation. I like the idea of being able to head into a holodeck. I like the idea of being able to meet a Captain Picard. In any case, Technology of the Mind think about it